This morning, I'm so excited because I get to um, talk to somebody that I really, really just have a lot of warm feelings for somebody. You know, I follow on social media, but I feel like we're friends, June, even though this is probably the first time we've had like a conversation over Zoom and seen each other. And that feels weird to me because I feel like I know you, which <laughs> is a part of living in our world. I think during COVID mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just so excited. I get to talk to June Park, who writes as J.S. Park. Uh, you might follow him on Instagram where he has a wonderful, um, I don't know, I hate the word brand, but you have um, you have a thing you like to do on Instagram. Is that a yeah. better way of saying it? Do you want to uh, explain that really quick? I'll keep talking about you, but I'm like, do you want to explain your Instagram really quick? Yeah, that's totally fair. It's uh, it's typewriter art. I call it typewriter therapy. I, I guess you yes. could say, I guess you could say brand. Yeah, but I I gotta say real quick before you go on, I I can't stop smiling right now. I know podcast land can't see that, but I am so happy to talk with you. I admire you, look up to you. I'm honored to be in your presence right now. Truly, truly, truly. I mean, you have encouraged, inspired, informed a large part of who I am in my faith. I, I can't, there's not enough words to to just share my excitement about talking with you. I can't stop smiling because oh I, I just think you're so cool and so awesome. And you you really, I, I could keep going for another. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. We are, we are here to talk about you. And I will say yeah. both me and my husband, Crispin, are just huge huge fans of your work and i'm so excited to talk to you for this podcast for the faith and justice network because you know this month is all about the inward journey we're doing some deep dives into some really um, wonderful texts and it's hard especially if you're in social media if you're in sort of deconstructing from toxic religion land Mm -hmm. it can be really hard to find voices that call out the toxicity, but are also like creating a path forward for a life of faith. And I totally understand people who are just done with it. That, however, is not me. I cannot escape God and I cannot escape, (laughs) right? Some of these bigger questions about myself in relation to the world, to God and to my neighbor. So you're one of those people that I think forges that that path. Um, Both Kristen and I read your book. So you've published a book, um, The Voices We Carry. And Mm -hmm. I was drawn to you because your typewriter therapy on Instagram is really great. Um, And also your book is just my favorite kind of writing and it's Mm -hmm. deeply emotional and just wonderful stories and you are a hospital chaplain and it like books by hospital chaplains are actually this this sub very niche (laughs) um sub genre that i'm obsessed with and i think that's because i am obsessed with mortality and there's very Mm -hmm. few spaces in I would say American culture in general, and then my background, white evangelicalism in general, right? They just, these topics don't get explored in the way that resonates with me, but your book did that. So I would really recommend The Voices We Carry to anybody, but beyond just your book, um, I thought about you a lot the past few years. Um, I I just want to tell the listeners uh, a little bit about your situation, but then I want you to expand on it. Yeah. Um, but before I do that, why don't we just take a step back? And I want to ask you, um, you know, how are you coming into this space today? I told you we, I want to talk to you about spiritual practices in the midst of everything going on. So how are you? How are you showing up today? You know, today, I think I am both. There's a lasagna of feelings, but I would say I'm I'm both tired and energized. Um, uh, I'm always energized when I talk or chat with people, especially about things that I love or or love to analyze or get into. So I'm happy. I'm very, very happy and energized to be here. But I can say I am still in some kind of recovery slash survival slash PTSD slash maybe working a bit on fumes and in a deficit just because this last year and a half being in the hospital, uh, you know, as a, as a chaplain and then, uh, being a, I guess, quote unquote, churchgoer has been extremely, extremely difficult and at times extremely disappointing. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, we, we, I'm sure have both felt those things. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm coming into this space with, it feels like a lot dragging at my heels. Uh, and I am naturally, I think, a, a hopeful person. So there's, there's optimism and there's a, a vision and a path forward. Uh, but a lot of that today right now has to do with speaking with you. I just mm. love you and your work. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to be in this space right now. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's awesome. I, um, how are you, Danielle? <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night with like a ton of pain, which is a sign that, uh, my body's trying to tell me that I'm not doing great, but I'm also like body just get with it. I'm mm -hmm. never going to be fine again. <laughs> so yeah. stop giving me pain. Um, so I'm waking up, but I, again, I agree. I am totally energized by having conversations and, you know, seeing other people's faces. Um, as you were talking, I just had this thought. I'm like, your life is almost the exact opposite of mine. I have spent the last year and a half. I feel like a cloistered nun with two very needy children, if nuns had children, right? Um, and I'm also married. <laughs> but like my world has become extremely small. Like I just had to sign off on a bio for my next book. And it's like, D.L. Mayfield teaches English literacy to newly arrived people. And I was like, yeah, I haven't done that since March 2020. Like that's my old mm -hmm. life. This is my new life now. And mm -hmm. um, my life is very small. Your life, on the other hand, is really different. So for the listener, you know, you are a hospital chaplain and I want to mm -hmm. get a little bit more into how you got into that, but you're a hospital chaplain yeah. in the era of COVID and you live in Florida. And <sighs> yeah. I just, I, I just don't even know how to ask you about what it has been like for you, but maybe let's just hone in a little bit. Yeah. Um, can I add to that layer? Be also yes, being, please, please. Also being a Korean American during the pandemic mm. has been, yeah, not always the best. Uh, not, not because, uh, because of, not because of my own shame, uh, but because of how others are perceiving me and my community. Yeah. And would you say that um, you've been involved in, in some activism around Asian American hate? in the United States in the past year and a half too? Or was that already something that was a part of your life? Yeah, I just I think, need to be more vocal about it on social media. Yeah, I think uh, it has certainly gotten more of a spotlight in the last year or so, though I would say in a more low-key way, probably since maybe the last six, seven years, mm -hmm. have been involved in that sort of advocacy and activism. And back then when I talked about it, at least on my end, it was like tumbleweeds. Like I would write something about, uh, I would write an encouraging post or something vaguely inspirational, lots of likes. I would write about, you know, the feeling of invisibility, being an Asian American, ghost town, mm. you know. Uh, but just this last year and a half, it's been getting more attention. But just because it's getting more attention doesn't mean that it hasn't been going on before, you know. Yeah. And hate crimes, yeah. they started almost immediately in March, in April, mm. especially after the then head of the administration uh, used the word uh, China virus. Yeah. 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 There are lots of studies that show the escalation of hate crimes after that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, layers to that. And so, yeah, to, to go back to what you were saying, it, it's been a wild, wild, just as it has been for many of us, uh, wild year and a half. Yeah. So with this background of everything, you are just, you're just in the eye of the storm. Honestly, that's like the, the phrase that comes to my mind when I think about you and your work and, um, who you are. You also had a baby. <laughs> during the pandemic, pandemic baby. I don't recommend it. I really don't. <laughs> I just feel overwhelmed Ooh. just talking about your life. I'm sorry. But I just, again, this is why I'm, I'm so in awe of you is, um, you bring your whole self into everything. That's why I'm, I was, you know, I gravitated towards your work in the beginning. And so in, in that vein, I just love to talk to you about what have been some of your spiritual practices over the last year and a half. Let's hone in, you know, during this pandemic time. Um, but you're somebody who is pouring yourself out for people. Um, I don't know. I just want to know what that question sparks for you, if that sounds overwhelming or if something comes immediately to your mind. I'd just yeah. be curious. Can I preface first, Danielle, by saying mm -hmm. I'm super basic? So, <laughs> so like, 
You're a basic guy. <laughs> I'm basic like that. You know, I, I like sitcoms with laugh tracks. I'm that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't dress myself. My wife picks out my clothes. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, just, I don't know, you know, what to wear, how to wear it. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be maybe not uh, an answer for everybody, but I love reading fiction. And mm. I think fiction that allows me to escape into another world where things can't happen in this world. And that's a lot of fiction, but, uh, you know, pre pandemic, I was really into heavy shows and heavy stuff. And, um, I would like, uh, action stuff and crime thrillers, but I think somewhere in March or April, probably in towards the summer, I just couldn't deal with watching dramas and heavy mm-hmm. stuff anymore, or even reading nonfiction that was really, really heavy. And I, and I always want to stay on top of the news and I want to be informed, but it was just, I was day in and day out steeped in, in the middle of headlines, it felt like. And so for me, when I had a chance for self-care, I would just read fiction and I, I would eat it up. I, I just love reading fiction. And uh, I know that that's not like the most popular answer because I guess there's a whole thing about theologians are supposed to constantly be studying their stuff, <laughs> you know, or I'm supposed to be in the stream of like, you know, what, what are all these other theologians saying? And so I'll tell some like other pastor friends, I'm, you know, they're like, what are you reading lately? And they'll tell me something like Kierkegaard or, you know, <laughs> something like that. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's pretty dope. I'm, I'm reading, you know, the, uh, one of the books I just finished rereading was Charlotte's web. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I read that whole book out loud to my one-year-old. And I know she probably doesn't understand it, but I'm I'm reading, I guess, young adult or grown books to her. Uh, before that, I, I read out loud Chronicles of Narnia uh, to her. Hey. Yeah. Which I know there's some parts where I, I read, I was like, oof, you know, this is not what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, I mean, you can't even turn off your brain fully, right? When we're reading these. Oh, there, classics. I, no. Okay. I read the Phantom Tollbooth tour and I had to edit on the fly because there was some stuff where I was like, oh, this is a bit archaic. I can't use these words. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So some of these books, I'm I'm so glad right now for, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I love it. So, go, go, go. So glad for diverse authors. And mm-hmm. I know my daughter more and more will grow up in a world that she won't know that there weren't Asian American authors that mm. are prominent and sold in bookstores. Didn't have that growing up. You know, mm-hmm, I had maybe mm-hmm. at most uh, Bruce Lee and then just race racialized stereotypes, you know, yeah. throughout cinema, if there were any of us. Right. Um, but I'm I'm so glad. So some of these books that I'm reading, I'm like, maybe I should just stop and just, you know, go to these other awesome authors that we have. But yeah, Charlotte's Web, I, I cried through the last half <laughs> reading it out to her. She kept looking at me like, are you OK, Dad? You know, <laughs> The kind of empathy that one-year-olds have, but they can't quite, you know, yeah, comprehend. So, but uh, yeah, fiction puts me in a whole other world. And I recently read two books that I got to recommend right now that are okay. fantastic: uh, "Stories of Your Life and Others" and "Exhalation." They're both by the same author, Ted Chiang. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's a Chinese American author. He wrote uh, the short story for the, it became a movie called Arrival with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Oh, okay, yeah. Which is a, a beautiful movie, really, mm-hmm. really wonderfully and well done. Um, but the, it's just a co- compilation of short stories and it's all science fiction and it's right up my alley and I love it. And it's not something that maybe, I don't know, again, when I talk about it with other uh, theology type people, you know, they're just like fiction. That seems like a waste of time. It's just coming out of somebody's head. And I'm like, this is what I love reading. And there's a research study that came out, I think kind of recently, reading fiction uh, can increase empathy. And it's, yeah, because we're reading about from other people's perspectives and their lives. And it's story that moves us and inspires us and brings us into connection with other people. It's not necessarily systematic theology or philosophy or things in a kind of westernized sequence one two three logical progression it's being in that story and storytelling and so i think i think for me fiction helped me to become a a fuller person over this last year and a half and that has been odd odd enough to say a a spiritual practice for me i love 
this. I think, you know, when you're talking about reading to your daughter, I think there's some beautiful things in there about your spiritual practice is involving your one-year-old. It's involving yeah. some links to your, maybe your own childhood to some of these books that are classics that you have to edit on the fly because you're like, guess what? We don't just have to accept this anymore, right? Um, yeah. Like how C.S. Lewis writes about Asian stereotypes and like the horse and his boy, all that stuff. But you're also going beyond that, too, into um, science fiction. I think that's really fascinating that that is a sweet spot for you. Um, I bet a lot of people relate to this. I I don't trust fiction because um, <laughs> it's harder for me to understand where the author's going. And when mm. I get really invested in a story, my heart just gets broken if you know a character dies or something like that happens. I just, oh, yeah. it wrecks me. It wrecks me because I can't really watch dramas or anything like that either. And so, but sometimes a book will suck me in and then I'll just be like devastated, like emotionally. <laughs> so yeah. maybe- Maybe I need to pull back a bit. I, I read YA. So that's, you know, a form no, of it. Yeah. But it's not um, not to the same level, I think, as the fiction that you are probably reading. But I, I love this idea that you are immersed in some of the most intense situations right now. Um, you know, again, in Florida, in hospitals, <laughs> as an Asian American person, like, yeah. That's a lot. And now you're finding some solace in some science fiction. I don't want to read too much into that, but you already mentioned empathy. And to yeah. me, it sounds like imagination is also like an important spiritual practice for you engaging in, in this form of imagination. Now, you also mentioned you have a bunch of theologian friends. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about your worlds and how you kind of... Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just hearing some things in, in your life that I just love to tease out a little bit. Do you feel sure. like you kind of have some separate worlds going on or they all sort of blended together for you? Oh, man, probably f maybe four or five or half a dozen worlds. I guess I would say most of my friends, I don't think would identify as uh, spiritual or Christian or they're lapsed Christians, quote unquote, lapsed. Um and then there's the chaplains who run a wide range from like rabbi to Catholic priests to, uh, yeah, you have some Christians on this end of, mm. they, they might still consider themselves uh, evangelicals. And then we have on this end, much more uh, progressive. And so I love being among the chaplains because there's like 20 of us. And then we have interns and residents going in and out each year. And I've been there now six, six years, over six years. And I've just seen my share of all these different kinds of faiths. And then uh, I have my, at least from the Korean church world, uh, pastor friends who are still in pastoral ministry. They're still doing their thing. <laughs> They're still keeping up. And, you know, often I think when I see chatter online about the evangelical church, it's interesting to me that it's it's talked about sometimes in a in a polarized fashion that here we have the evangelical church and then we have deconstructionists. But at least as far as I'm seeing in the Korean American church, there's almost a centrist uh, position. And I, when I say that, I mean Korean Americans who deeply care about issues like justice, immigration, uh, racial justice, and then at the same time would hold to a very firm uh, view of the Bible and, and things like that. And so it's kind of almost a, a mix of things where I can't just throw them in one pot or the yeah. other, you know. Mm -hmm. And then going back even further, there's the martial arts world uh, because I grew up uh, doing Taekwondo and various other things. My dad is a, is a ninth degree black belt. I am sixth degree. My brother still teaches. He's been running a dojo uh, since his early 20s. And so that whole world, I'm still somewhat connected, is super interesting. Right now, it's tough to be a part of that world because I've noticed that the martial arts world is becoming more and more alt-right and far-right. Mm, oh. And I don't know if that has to do with, um, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but when it comes to militaristic type structures, there's sometimes more propensity for alt-right and all respect to those uh, in those fields. But I'm seeing in the MMA world and in the martial arts world, a lot of people falling into the QAnon type stuff. Wow. Do you think it's also related to some of like the hierarchy, like learning to 
believe hierarchy is really important as far as order and structure goes. Absolutely. I did, yeah. I did Taekwondo for like a few years in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, <laughs> it makes yeah. me get, giggle just to think about it. But um, yeah, this, yeah, I was pretty bad at it. I don't, I don't think that's oh, going to be a no, shocker you, to anybody. Um, I couldn't know, fight my best friends. I would just like yeah. gently kick them. And then, yeah, yeah. You know, it, you know, maybe my brother knows some world-renowned <laughs> people in Wyoming. I can ask him. <laughs> I don't think that's the hot spot for Taekwondo. Yeah. It's like, you're ready to train for the Olympics? Wyoming's where it's at. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could be the hierarchy structure. It could be the idea of there's almost in those kinds of organizations and I'm in church politics uh, uh, and to some degree, martial arts, military, if you have that sort of structure, it can, it can lend itself to a cult-like mentality mm-hmm. where if you have a charismatic type leader, it automatically creates people who will follow without question. And then if you introduce into that, um, I think some of the more, I have the insider knowledge, I have the insider information, here's the in-group and out-group. Then you have a greater tendency and propensity to get into conspiracy type thinking. And and so some of the, the students that we see, they they fall for these things so easily because they're looking for Maybe when I studied hate groups for the book that I wrote, I did a deep dive in the hate groups and, oh man, it was, it was tough research, but I think there are four key markers of hate groups and none of the markers are, we just hate a bunch of people. It wasn't that it was a mission. I think there was uh, a sense of purpose and then a sense of shared knowledge. There's these four key markers. So in that, I think those kinds of groups will fall into any type of thinking where this person has the stuff that I need to know in order to quote unquote, save the world or save people from this vast dark conspiracy. And so seeing my athlete friends fall for that has been pretty hard, maybe if not just as hard as seeing the evangelical church fall into that. I mean, yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I was like, this sounds like the narrative I was raised with, right? Here's the problem in the world. You know, we are the only ones that know how to fix it or save people from going to hell and the liberals Mm -hmm. taking over the world. Um, And it's just, it's hard when you deconstruct that, like, how do you redefine your sense of self? Like you are, again, you're in the epicenter of so many things wrong in our society and what's Mm -hmm. going wrong. Like, do you ever miss that certainty of like, I know how to fix this? Right. Like uh, I, I went and protested some worship events in the past year where Christians would gather and, uh, you know, not wear masks and sing praise songs to Jesus because that's going to keep them safe from COVID. And that's going to bring our nation back to God. And just thinking like, I'm horrified by that, but I get the appeal if you just sing loudly enough, you won't get COVID. Or if you get COVID, it won't kill you. Like having that belief, I don't have that belief anymore, you know? Yeah. And I and I can see the appeal of that. Um, I, I, I actually don't know. Were you raised Christian? Because I know atheism was a part of your story mm. for a while. Do you just want to give us a quick little um, time timeline of your sure. spirituality? Yeah. I'll make a short story really long. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I grew up atheist and I decided very early on that I was that. My my dad, you know, would say he's a Christian. My mom was pretty eclectic. She had uh, kind of an Eastern upbringing and uh, didn't really believe in uh, a, a God at all. And then my grandmother and uncle who lived in the house with us, we lived in a multi-generational home. Uh, my grandmother, she practiced a Shintoist religion some people would call it a cult, but it's a nam myoho rengego, which is uh, she would chant at a shrine with incense and everything. And I remember at the time, my mom was kind of neutral about it. My dad would tell me that my grandma is like worshiping the devil. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was a lot of different types of voices in the house growing up. And my dad would try to take me to this Korean church. And I hated, hated, hated it growing up. And I remember one day, I think I was probably 10 or 11, and I, 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 in my home to talk back was just anathema. It was, it was never done, but 
but I remember screaming saying, I don't ever want to go back to this church. You can't make me go. <laughs> so wow. yeah. And I, I remember yelling, like, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't care about any of this. And so I don't think I probably came around to being a Christian or awakening to Christian faith until my twenties. Um, I did go to a church like in my senior year of high school, I want to say to start playing drums for the, for the youth group because they needed a drummer. <laughs> Makes sense I, to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm an atheist. Are y'all okay with that? And they're like, sure, we just need a drummer. And I think they were trying to, you know, side tackle, side hustle me like into. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then they, I'm sure they were secretly had conversion plans, you know, all of mm -hmm. that. Uh, but when I went to seminary, even then, I don't think I was fully quote unquote a Christian. Wait, why did you go to seminary? So Wait, you went from playing drums. <laughs> I know, right? It's like we skipped a couple steps it there. It worked. Right? They got you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really wanted this degree and I thought the church would be the right place to help people. And mm -hmm. I wanted to undercover sort of be in spaces where I can make waves from the inside, you know? And uh I think I've spent so long of my life as this chameleon uh, assimilating and blending into American and Western culture that I thought, what's one more, you know, and maybe that wasn't a conscious thought, but it just kind of was an avalanche of, 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 of like from before all the way to this makes sense with everything that happened before. So when I went to seminary, I hadn't read the Bible yet. I, I was kind of like from atheism to I want to serve the church and be a pastor. You know, yes. <laughs> and then yes. I remember my first day of class and I didn't know being at Southeastern Baptist, uh, being at an SBC seminary during when uh, President Obama was elected. Whoo, it was <gasps> it was wild. And, you know, <laughs> I'll just say, yeah, there were there was it was, there was all kinds of picket signs and stuff. It was wild. But my first day of class, somebody made a joke like, uh, yeah, like when Moses did it and the whole class laughed, you know, and I didn't know what they were talking about because I didn't know anything about Moses. Even though I've been going to church, I just didn't listen. <laughs> they all laughed and I just kind of went, ah, <laughs> just trying to laugh with them. And I made it a mission to, to finish reading the Bible. I ended up reading it like five times or something and, and just did a deep dive into all of that. And so I went from this kind of this world of atheism all the way into the hard world of 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 evangelicalism mm. and i think it wasn't until i left seminary that i kind of knew where my faith was but still remained undercover and so um as i look at the church now you know i think you mentioned the process of uh you, you had this belief of certainty and then it kind of it kind of dis, you know, faded away or, or evolved into something else. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, maybe I came in a different way where you know I, I came into the church really, I guess. Um, gosh, how would I put it? As an outsider looking in and still feeling that way, and feeling like uh, this Christian faith is about loving more and being more compassionate. And how can I do justice through this? I, I came in through that lens. Yeah. And then as I started learning more and hanging out with more Christians and evangelicals, I thought, are they teaching me to love people less? You know, are yeah. they teaching me more certainty, you know, and, and just being fixed in what I believe? I, I got actually confused because I thought the Christian faith would lead to uh, a more expansiveness and, and, and as I saw it play out, at least in the evangelical world, uh, not all, but some, it didn't play out the way I thought it, it would. And so I, I kept hiding and hiding and, and staying in that camouflage. And I'm still part of, you know, evangelical spaces in the evangelical world. And I still feel in some ways undercover. But then, mm -hmm. you know, what's so funny is that as I talk with people one-on-one -on -one in the evangelical world, they'll all say the same kinds of things to me where I'm like, I'm not like these other Christians. And then I talk to the next one and they'll say the same thing. And I feel like there's a lot of us who are undercover and just don't, oh. don't know how to break out or are afraid of losing community or what would be an optimist explanation? I, I guess they feel like if they're outed, then I lose everyone, my family, my church. Wow. I met a lot, a lot, a lot of them. Wow. Um, 
as you, as you were talking, you know, I was picking up on this theme you were saying about being a chameleon and being in these spaces. And, yeah. and we know that not everybody can stay and everybody has to make their, you know, decision for when to go and all of that. But this is a real, real tension that I think a lot of people listening. And I know I myself has struggled with, like, how long do you stay? How do you, how much do you try and reform from mm-hmm. within? And, and what is the overall effect if you keep having to suppress what you really think or believe in order to be in community, then that's probably not a safe community, right? And, yeah. and eventually we have to realize that. So as I'm thinking about spiritual practices, um, one of the things I'm just so drawn to in your writing yeah. is this deep emotion. And I think as somebody who experiences deep emotion, um, positive, like the highs are high, uh, yeah. but the lows are low. And I'm somebody who's mental health has been really impacted by the pandemic, by white evangelicals, you know, 2016 on. Um, I have uh, anxiety disorder that mm-hmm. if, it, if it goes long enough, it turns into depression, you know. Um, yeah. And I just, I know you've talked a little bit about your own mental health, um, you know, publicly on, on social media and that stuff. I'm wondering, is this almost like a form of spiritual practice for you is to be extremely honest about how you're feeling and how you're doing um, because your story has involved being a chameleon in some ways. I don't know. Does that resonate with you or, or no? Yeah. You know, I think before we started recording, I talked about my blog a little bit and I had like zero views and clicks for like years. So I was, I was, I, I was blogging in the early 2000s. I think before the word blog was around, somebody gave me some HTML site and I just put all my thoughts out there. And then I had the I had a Tumblr like in 2008 or something. Oh wow! And, and they had a Q yeah they had the little Q and A box mm-hmm. and people would ask me questions and I would just write all this stuff like honestly how I felt about faith and mm-hmm. you know asking uh, questions of our leaders and our pastors and you know questioning faith itself and how I am you know a quote unquote faith uh, I guess weakling or like very very skeptical all the time constantly. And so, yeah, maybe there is some way in which I don't know if it's consciously or not that that's therapeutic, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that I set out to be like, I'm going to do this for my therapy, but maybe more so I just need to put this somewhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, I, and I'll put it out here. And then I started getting sometimes dozens of questions a day through Tumblr back when it was very active, you know, like I try to talk to my pastor about this. Is this okay? You know, I brought this up. I have this issue. And a lot of it was about mental health stuff and identity crisis type things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I just as graciously as I could uh, try to answer those questions. But I found that there were, again, quite a lot of us who felt unsafe to ask questions within church mm-hmm. and ask their pastors and leaders and felt safer asking anonymously through this question box of a random person online. Wow. Wow. So, so yeah, I was, uh, I was amazed that the writing that I put out there, which didn't have the end goal of I'm going to be the honest, raw, authentic writer dude online. I was just, it was just a space, a landing pad where I could put my thoughts out. Just st- suddenly started, I guess, attracting people who, who wanted somebody just to validate what they were experiencing. And, and mm. that, that's where it kind of ended up. And it, and I guess it just took off, you know, incidentally or coincidentally, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. If for me, it is a type of therapy. I think um, these days when I write, it's very sporadic. Like I'll wake up sometimes 3 a.m. and just something comes and I'll just start writing, you know, something pops yeah. up. And it's it's to me, it's like catching catching some of like a rainstorm in a thimble, like <laughs> the inspiration hits and it's so random, you know, but I'll think of something and, and I write with I think deep emotion, there's not like a writing schedule that I have. And it was, I know it was maddening for my editors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last three chapters of my book, just a side note, I, I my book, I, I, my last three chapters were not finished and my whole book was due in like a day. And I spent all night, I think I finished my last three chapters in about 12 hours. Yeah. And oh my gosh. I actually don't remember everything I wrote. <clears throat> and then my editor emailed me back after I sent it like the next week. And she said, uh, <laughs> she said, these are by far my favorite chapters you wrote. 
<laughs> I was gonna say I was like I love the ending of your book. You yeah, know? yeah. I, I, not not yeah. every Christian book ends on a high high note. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. they kind of peter off. But yeah, it, well, it was an, I guess it was unfiltered and you know like lack of self conscious because I was so sleep deprived. But yeah, yeah, it's it's that's that's kind of how it came to be. And I you know when I write in that deep emotion, I sit on it for a day and then I edit it a little bit and then I post it. So I usually don't post the second that it happens. That's what Twitter's for, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh for for all my other posts yeah I sit on it for a while but uh you know I'm always surprised and overwhelmed and I'm always like deeply I never want to get over people's reactions when they message me or they comment like I feel this like I've never mm. gotten over that I mm. can't believe that something that I shared or that I expressed uh without any kind of motivation to attract or anything somebody would say you know i feel that too or thank you for sharing this mm -hmm. or writing this and uh i think for me it's like i don't i don't want to become self-conscious of it where i'm like writing this so that i can you know eyes yeah. on yeah yeah and i i hopefully have kept that kind of sincerity i think <laughs> even talking about it yeah. makes me feel weird uh but yeah, but but, it, but it's interesting because we don't get a chance to talk about this a ton as writers because yeah. I feel that same tension. It's writing, especially if you're putting things out on social media, right? There's yeah. an element actually of this being a spiritual practice for me. This is yeah. how I am honest. Here's how I'm showing up. Um, and then when people say "me too," you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, my brain, my brain is always trying to tell me you're the only one who feels like this. You're the only one who feels betrayed by Christianity. You're the only one yeah. who feels so lonely. You're the only, and then when you put something out there and people are like, I feel that too. You're like, oh my gosh, this is how we're trying to find each other in these really hard times. And yet at the same time, you can also become pretty overwhelmed and burdened. At least I can, right? When people do email you or message you and they have really hard stories, really sad stories. Um, so for me, I don't think of writing as a spiritual practice, but it totally is. But then it's also all these other things. I don't know if you resonate with that too, um, because writing is also tied up into social media for both you and I, I think. Yeah. But even as you were saying, like, I will wake up at 3 a.m. and write, I'm like, that's a spiritual practice. That's it. Yeah. Like, is you are paying attention to what's going on in your inner world, right? And you are responding to that. And that's something I want to cultivate in my own life, you know? And yeah. I think about you doing this in the midst of all that you have going on. And I'm just like, oh, I want to, I want to try and pay attention more um, yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say, Danielle, you're really good at this, by the way, the, the podcasting. I'm being super... <laughs> Podcasting. I'm just talking to you. <laughs> I know. I you're good at all like the listening part of I'm I'm just being I love right I love listening to people talk and then I feel a little weird because in my head I'm I'm making connections and I'm just like jazzed about everything you're yeah. saying. And um I feel a little freaked out because I was like, I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> and so I'm like, gotta hone in, Danielle. You gotta hone in. As I listen to you, I'm like, your connections are like you'd be so good as a chaplain and all of it, but just like I, I'm being blown away right now by the connections you're making. So I feel like I'm sometimes when I talk, I'm being incoherent or I'm just like, okay, I think I've hit the expiration date of where I should have ended my thought. And then, you know, you keep going a little bit <laughs> and then I get self-conscious or I'm like, oh, I think I'm talking too much. I should just land the plane on this point. <laughs> no, you are not talking enough. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, I did, I, you know, speaking of the 3 a.m. thing, I think there are some of us who need a schedule or need like an outline or a plan or a calendar of how to do spiritual practice. And this is, you know, this is not a new thought, certainly. But for, for me, I tried doing that. I've lost every planner I've ever owned, <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and I've set alarms in my phone, like, you know, do your devotional time at this time, you know, back when I was really trying to do Oh, my no, I'm triggered. <laughs> devotional Just every day, Yeah. <laughs> You know, and Danielle, no lie, this is very, maybe I know this is probably in other churches, but in my, you know, very Korean church, we would do things like read your Bible for Lent. So read it in 40 days. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've done it. And I also did the P90X, read your Bible in 90 days. 
<laughs> oh, they have a P90X it's version. A, it's a B90X, I think. You're supposed to like work out and read your Bible it's for 90 days. It's something wild like that. But I, okay. I've also read the Bible in 90. I was like so gung ho about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I found, though, that the, at least the way uh, for me that works for me is when the moment comes or when the inspiration strikes, which is like the weather, which can't be controlled. Mm-hmm. This is this is the zone, and uh, if God is calling, then I kind of enter that moment as a gift that is unfolded for me, and um, mm. yeah. And somebody, oh, like, I just want to sit with that for a minute. Yeah, is, it's really hard for somebody who grew up in evangelicalism to hear that, but I I resonate so strongly with that, and it's hard because you can't control God and you can't control so much of your life and it's scary to continually give up that control anyway sorry keep going i just no no you know i mean somebody like my my dear wife who she's so good on a schedule she's so good on an outline and to-do lists and sometimes i would look at her and be like does is that causing more stress or more pressure like is it okay to toss that and she's like no no and she'll even do a task add it to the to-do list and then cross it off like <laughs> you know oh yeah yeah it's that sense of accomplishment for her so i understand that that's a whole thing and, and it's very helpful but you know uh for example evangelical world when we talk about qts and devotionals and things like that i, I know that's helpful for some people so i don't want to denigrate that or anyone's faith but i've noticed that that's such a big market and that was such a marketed push to have these kind of qt and devotional type books QT being quiet time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking, well, before the 1400s, before that, you know, you know, the legend goes that the guy and the horse started dividing the Bible into chapter and verse. <laughs> that's why they're so weird because <laughs> he was riding no. a horse while doing it. So I did not know this. Yeah, that's why I didn't go to seminary like you. So oh I didn't gosh. learn that well, story. It's like an urban legend at this point. But <laughs> some of the chapter breaks and verse breaks, you know, they weren't originally in the Bible. And then even before that, uh, William Tyndale, he tried to get the Bible into the hands of the common people, you know, it was burned at a stake, I believe. Um, <clears throat> because he tried to do that. And now there's a whole publisher named after him, right? Uh, so when you look at that, I'm like, well, before the 1400s, people couldn't do QTs and devotionals, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no... how, did they, how did they have a relationship with God? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have, you know, scripture. And so when, when people verse proof me and stuff and things like that, it's just... There, there are times it's it's very exasperating because that mm-hmm. that push towards quote unquote biblical fidelity or sola scriptura and all that stuff, I, I get it. And at the same time, uh, there can be faith that is uh, invitational, where God opens up that door, and that's when we take notice or not. Mm-hmm. And I think there's grace when we don't. And there's, of course, grace when we do. And uh, that pressure sort of, I need to do this on the checklist. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's that's so harmful. And I think even in some ways abusive. And uh, still there are sermons. I'm like, these are so 1990 style sermons that are like, yeah. you know, are you praying, you know, every day? Are you reading your Bible? <laughs> I hear those still in the evangelical world. And I'm like, does, when does that, when did that ever work? You know, uh, mm-hmm. guilt in the short term, but certainly not for a long-term faith. It reminds me of that scene in uh, Park, Parks and Rec, I think, where they do the experiment, where they, uh, I think it's um, Ron's character, or, or Nick Offerman's character, Ron, <laughs> <laughs> tries to rule by fear, and then there's like the ruling by reward. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is the fear person ends up getting way more done, and the reward person gets a lot less done. But the person who was based off fear, I think that was Jerry or Gary, he makes way more mistakes, like way more to the point where the work wasn't even like good. It couldn't yeah. be because he was yeah. driven by fear. The person who did less based more on reward or based more on encouragement was so accurate, even though they did less. Mm. And so I think maybe that's not a perfect analogy, but I think when it's fear-based and I'm not saying anything new, there, there's something so harmful about it. And so I just keep going back to the idea that a spiritual practice doesn't need necessarily timing and i think that idea is a very westernized almost maybe even capitalistic sense of productivity instead of the stillness of hearing 
the voice, yeah, you know, and being able to be invited and knowing, okay, this is a moment where I'm being called. I'm now going to pay attention to this moment. Yeah. Oh, this is all so good, June. And we could literally keep talking for hours, but I just, I just want to say one thing that, um, you know, your observations just always strike such a, a deep chord in me. And I think it's because, you know, you have probably tested out biblicism, right? In the halls of a hospital as people are dying and you have found it mm -hmm. wanting. That is not how God operates in a hospital is by having you, you know, say scripture verses to people. I mean, maybe that works sometimes, but um, pray harder, have a better quiet time falls a little flat, right? In the face of a global pandemic. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you're just someone who has retained such a beautiful faith and gives me mm. hope um, for going forward. When I get really overwhelmed, I get overwhelmed by how bad the world is and how yeah. awful Christians are. And then I see someone like you and I read your book and it just invites me into curiosity and being open um, to listen to where God is. So thank you for the work that you do. I want to add one more thing about yeah, your ch yeah. chameleon-ness. Um, <laughs> you wrote your book. I just, to me, this is, just blows my mind. You wrote your book for moody publishers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I say that because they're extremely conservative. And mm -hmm. the whole time I was reading your book, I was like, how did he get this through <laughs> and I just that is like my favorite kind of thing my favorite kind of book is is that like if you had been published on like Convergent or anything like that your book would still be amazing but honestly <laughs> the fact that it's through Moody I'm just like mad respect I just Aww. it just tickles me so much Thank so you I would ask well. one little question did you yeah. get pushed back from your book or you know or what were they like I got to give credit to Moody they uh they put me first. They put me under their secular imprint called Northfield, and they have a secular imprint. Yeah, that's the same imprint that the Five Love Languages is published under. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. So I, uh, they specifically pushed for that. They said that you're writing, uh, and I feel like I'm bragging right now, but they said your writing can reach a lot of people. Yes. Yes. And, and they, you know, said to put it under Moody. Uh, they didn't quite say it like this, but I think they were implying it may limit the audience or something like mm -hmm. that. And that's all marketing stuff that's over my head. Right, right. <laughs> but when they said, we want this under the secular imprint, I said, I'm all for it. I'm 100% for it. And the editors that I had, uh, shout out to them. There were times when they said, you know, what? I want more of this story that you're telling. They, mm -hmm. they were so open to everything. And uh, were, were there times maybe when I felt like, well, they, they may theologically this and I'm theologically over here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There may have been times like that. And they understood also that I was an interfaith chaplain, meaning that I work among many different faiths. Yeah, and yeah. so my, uh, not that I try for this, but my, uh, maybe my faith in itself is more ecumenical or, or mm -hmm. just encompassing of all different beliefs. And I never want to denigrate or put down anyone else. In fact, elevate where they're at, yeah. you know, and meet them where they're at. And, you know, I, I had a good experience uh, with Moody Publishers and at least the editors that I worked with, the marketing team, all of them were so open and wonderful. There were times when I was shy to put in stuff and, and they would ask me for more. Mm. And so uh, you're right in that uh, about where Moody theologically is. Uh, but I was over and over again, very delighted and happy uh, to be with them. And uh, again, <laughs> I don't know if I'm giving too much away, but it felt so much like uh, we're we're this team undercover making waves. <laughs> we're gonna do, I, I don't want to give too much away, but you know we're 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 making waves together. And I love uh, that so much. yeah, yeah. And so I'm so glad that they honored the space that I was at. Um, there were times that I did push a little bit, but mm -hmm. uh, I would say overall. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that my voice, I felt like was not compromised. So, I mean, yeah, it did not seem compromised at all. And that just made me feel so happy when I read it. Um, okay. So everybody go get his book, the voices we carry. It's incredible. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media? Oh yeah. 
Thank you. Uh, JS Park on Instagram, good old Facebook uh, and Twitter. <laughs> You're still on Facebook. You're brave. Ooh, I know. That's a, uh, wow. That's a. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, there, on the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. There are things I won't post on Facebook because I know yeah. it's going to be bad for my mental uh-huh. health that week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I still have, I still have a blog, which does anyone have a blog anymore still? Yeah. That's. <laughs> oh, you do. Yeah, but it's now become like a, this is where I put all my stuff. I just copy and paste. So okay, okay. yeah, conglomeration well, of. Well, I think that's awesome. Honestly, I miss blogging. I do. Yeah. 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 Shout out to Kathy Kang, who is still blogging strong. And she's yeah. amazing at it. Oh, yeah. I read all of her posts. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Well, June, it's been <laughs> so lovely to chat with you. I just... I just everything you're doing is amazing and I'm so glad I can introduce you to the Faith and Justice Network because you're right in their sweet spot. You're in the you're in the center of the storm and I'm just holding you and and all your work um in my heart today. You you have so many pastoral things going on. You know, I just you, you remind me of a, a priest, right? You have you minister to people when they're sick. You um your writing has always involved an element of a space for confession for people. Mm-hmm. So just be encouraged today. You are, you are doing just such wonderful work. And um, yeah, I hope, I hope you are blessed today. Oh, that sounds really Christian-y, but I mean it. I hope you are blessed and surprised by um, mm-hmm. some way God shows up in your world today. Yeah. And Danielle, can I likewise say in Christianese, you to me <laughs> reflect the hands, feet, and heart of God. And I am so happy for that. And thank you for your your boldness, your continued inspiring presence and reaching out to me. And like you have done so much with, uh, I think, highlight. It sounds strange to say, but spotlighting and highlighting things that I write to. And, and a shout out to you as well. When you posted the thing about uh, give to this chaplain, your community came through and gave so much. And I have been able to help support fellow healthcare workers with coffee and snacks and beyond. Yeah, we should say yeah. really quick. Sometimes you, yeah, if people want to Venmo you, like <laughs> you just, you just love another Christianese thing. You love on your fellow chaplains and you support <laughs> them. And you, see, you're doing ministry in so many ways. But thank you mm. so much for coming on and talking to us. And I hope people get your book and, and follow you because it's just amazing. Yeah, thank you, Danielle. 